Good morning. Uh, my name is Jill, and I am the children's ministry director here at The Grove. And it's really fun to be with you grown-ups, because uh, I don't think I'm going to have to tell you to put your listening ears on or give me your looking eyes. So it's pretty fun that I get to talk to adults today. Uh, I've been leading the children's program here for the last three months, and it has been so much fun. You all have amazing kids. Uh, I'm not just saying that, because really... You have amazing kids. And we have some phenomenal volunteers here who I've loved getting to know and getting to work with. Um, I am married to Nolan, for those of you who don't know us already. Uh, Nolan is a civil engineer. And while I am very much not an engineer, he is very much that. So our house is pretty balanced, I guess you could say. Um, We also have Jace and Reese. Jace is five and Reese is two. And my poor children, um, Jace got my emotions with Nolan's brain, um, which makes quite the mixture. And then Reese is just quite this little sparkler for any of you who know her. Um, Nolan and I have been married for nine years. Um, Going back a little bit, I grew up in Corvallis. And then after I graduated from Crescent Valley, I then moved to Salem, where I went to college at Corbin University. I got my degree in English communications and then began serving at a church up in Salem. It was just two years ago that Nolan and I, and we'd been living down here in Albany for seven years at that point, and we just really felt like it was time to get connected here in our community. So that was when we chose to start looking for a church down here, and it was our first Sunday at the Grove that we knew this was the place for us. Um, Community was our big thing that we were looking for, and we've loved being here because we love the community here. And then it was just a really awesome bonus to have such good teaching and worship to go with it. So we love you guys. We love being a part of this Grove family. And I'm excited to talk with us today about some of the doors that we might face. Um, Sometimes I know we're looking at door number one or door number two. And like the video said, the pros and cons just aren't helping us with our choice. Um, Right after Nolan and I got married nine years ago, we were looking to buy a house. And everything we looked at in Salem just was too expensive or it wasn't what we wanted. And so gradually, Nolan who was working down here in Albany already, started getting me to look a little further south. Like, he was first like, let's look in Millersburg. So we looked around and didn't find anything. And then he's like, how about you just move a little further south and we look in Albany? And I had grown up in Corvallis, so I was like, no, not Albany. Like, why would I want to look there? It smells there. Um, He's like, don't worry, they've cleaned it up. It's not so bad. Um, So we found a house down here in Albany that we loved, and so we liked the community. We liked the short checkout lines at Costco. Uh, We liked how quickly you can get from one side of town to the other. However, our whole world was still back in Salem. That's where our church was. That's where our friends were. And so we spent the next several years looking for a way to get back to Salem. Around the time that the housing market crashed, so did the security at Nolan's job because he was an engineer at a small firm that specialized in new development. So as we started feeling insecure and wondering when are things going to end, because his boss was known to just let you go on payday without warning. So for three years, every day on payday, I was just like a nervous wreck expecting a text message or a phone call saying, you're done. And... We just kept waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering when are things going to change and finally thought it might be a good idea to be proactive. So Nolan started looking for a new job and he started applying for job after job after job. And the problem was lots of other more qualified engineers were looking at the same jobs. So door after door after door kept closing. 
And we finally reached the point where we were wondering, should we start looking out of state? Because while, yes, he had a job still, we didn't feel very secure at it. So we started looking around, and Idaho had similar requirements, so we could look there, and we were looking at Washington. But we just felt really uneasy about it, because there was this thought of, should we uproot our family, which was just three of us at the time, and move out of state, even though he still has a job? Like, what if we could be making the biggest mistake of our lives by doing that? So I felt burdened, but Nolan felt even heavier burdened by it. And finally, we talked to one of our pastors at the time. And we were like, how do we know if it's God's will for us to move out of state right now when he still has a job? And that pastor really surprised us because, like I said, I've grown up in this Christian family. I went to a Christian college. I was working at a church. I was in this Christian culture where we're always talking about God's will. Like, what is God's will for this? Or what is God's will for that? And our pastor really surprised me because he said there are two things that people over-spiritualize. Where they should work and who they should date. As far as dating goes, he's always like, do they love Jesus? Do you like them? Okay, yes and yes, sure, why not? It's dating. And then as far as where to work goes, he pointed out that the Bible tells Nolan that he needs to seek to work to provide for his family. It doesn't say anything about find the perfect job and then you will know I am in God's will. All he needed to worry about is he trying his best to provide for his family. So we looked at it and we said right now, yes, he's doing everything he can to provide for his family. So we had two doors in front of us. Look for a job out of state or stay where we're at and just keep looking for work locally. And then if he loses his job, then of course we'll look a little harder. So we chose door number two to stay put. The thing is, could God have still used it if we had moved elsewhere? Yes. But did God use it that we stayed locally? Big time. After not too much longer, Nolan's dream job came along, and he applied for it, and he interviewed for it, and we felt really good about it, like, this is what God has for us. And then he didn't get it. And we were so devastated because we just felt like, this is it. And two weeks later, he got a phone call saying that the other guy's paperwork had fallen through. And did Nolan still want the job? And we were like, yes, yes. Um, And the beauty of that is that meant we got to stay here in Albany because the job was here in Albany. It was one Nolan knew he wanted to be at long term. And it kind of just altered the course for our family where we were able to say, this is our town and this is the community that we want to raise our kids in. And this is where we want to be. And it was okay to close that door on Salem. And that's how we came to the Grove, too, which I think is pretty fantastic. Uh, but what Nolan and I, and I think so many other people, were doing was we were trying to connect God's will with our circumstances. We were putting so much pressure on what our outsides were doing and making sure that they lined up with God that we were forgetting to actually look at what the heart of God says. In the book that goes along with the series that we're doing, it's written by John Ortberg, and he says in it, God's primary will for your life is not what job you ought to take. It's not primarily situational or circumstantial. It's not mainly the city where you live or whether or not you get married or what house you ought to be in. God's primary will for your life is that you become a magnificent person in his image, somebody with the character of Jesus. That is God's main will for your life. No circumstance can prevent that. When we stopped worrying about whether or not it was God's will for us to move and instead saw it as his will to become more like him, the pressure kind of eased up. 
we were able to step back from the situation and look for work, but within the area. And then our job came along. It was amazing because we knew we were in God's will, regardless of what job Nolan was at, because he was seeking to honor God and be more like Jesus. So there were the two doors. We chose a door. We walked through it. But I can guarantee you God could use either door. It didn't matter which one we walked through. Because if you're truly pursuing Jesus, your circumstances can't prevent you from standing in his will. It's a hard truth to live in, though, isn't it? The reason it's hard is because we really want a guarantee that things are going to be okay. We want to know that we're in God's will because that'll mean the job will be a success, right? We want to know that we're in God's will because that means the money will be there. We want to know that we're in God's will because that means the relationship will be happily ever after. And we want to know that we're in God's will because we'll have security in it, right? But when we're faced with a choice between two doors and we're looking for a guarantee, we're forgetting that God's wanting us to pursue becoming more like Christ more than anything. And that means instead of wanting a guarantee, we're going to let go of that fear of failure. Because when we stop being afraid of what might happen if we pursue God, it's okay because he's already going to walk through those doors with us. Whatever choice we make, God will be on the other side of that choice. I don't have to be afraid of tomorrow because God will be in tomorrow already. We're going to look at a story in Acts Uh, that talks about some people who chose between two doors. The fun thing is I get to look at it in a completely different perspective than I've ever seen it before. I've taught this story at kids' camps and Sunday school a lot, but it was so fun when I was prepping for this to go, wow, there's so much bigger, such a bigger story going on than just the basic timeline of what happened. So we're going to turn to Acts 16, 25 to 34. And it'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible or your smartphone with you. And at this time, Paul and Silas were in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Um, A little bit of context for you. In those days, if prisoners escaped, the jailer was killed for it. So this jailer thought he'd get ahead of the game and save them the trouble and just take care of it himself. So he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So Paul and Silas were in prison, and a door was literally opened up to them. The stocks around their feet became unfastened, the door was open. Paul and Silas had two choices, run or stay. My instinct would have been to run and to run as fast as I could. But Paul and Silas chose to stay. And because of that, the jailer not only lived, but he and his entire family came to know Jesus. We don't know what all went through Paul and Silas's minds in that moment or even how long that moment was for them to choose to stay. 
But I can tell you that, or I can guarantee you that their decision to stay did not come from any disillusioned idea about what staying in prison might mean for them. We're going to back up a little bit in Acts 16 and look at verses 16 through 24, which tell us, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love that, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought, to them, brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Paul and Silas had to have been in so much pain. I mean, they had had their clothes ripped off of them. They were beaten with rods. It was not a pleasant experience, I can guarantee you. Yet here they are, sitting in prison, with their feet shackled, probably bleeding and bruised and in a lot of pain, and they were praising Jesus. And they knew life wasn't going to be good for them. Life for followers of Jesus at this point hadn't been easy. Already, Stephen, one follower, had been stoned to death. Um, James, the brother of John, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, had been killed with a sword. And Paul had already been stoned and left and assumed dead, but obviously he wasn't because here he is in jail, beaten again. Choosing to stay in prison didn't have a good outcome. But Paul and Silas knew that God's primary will for their life was to become more like Jesus. And that meant singing praise to God even in their beaten state. That meant staying within the prison even when the doors were wide open to them. And you know what I think is really remarkable? The other prisoners stayed with them. When the jailer discovered the open doors and was about to kill himself, Paul said, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Not only does the choice to stay physically and spiritually save the jailer and his families, but then after the next day when the authorities found they were still there, they let Paul and Silas go free. And because Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, which meant they had some special privileges and rights, even though they were Christians, they were given an apology and then escorted out of town. But even if they hadn't been freed, they still would have been praising God. Even if they'd been locked back up, shackled, they still would have been praising God. Paul and Silas were presented with a literal open door, and they chose not to walk through it. They wanted what God wanted, and living focused on making God-honoring choices allowed them to make the decision to stay. Who knows what would have happened if they'd chosen to walk through that door. Like, obviously, the jailer would have died, but God could have still used the ministry that they were doing. More people could have been saved. More Christians could have been encouraged. The fact that they stayed or went, either way, God could have still used the situation. But Paul and Silas knew what to do in that moment because that same Paul wrote letters to the churches to encourage them and to teach them. And so he told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In this verse, he's giving us the best news first. You are forgiven. And then after that, he want, God wants to lavish wisdom on us. That means he wants to pour it out. He wants to be a huge amount of wisdom. He doesn't want to just give us a little bit. He wants to lavish it out on us so that we can know what his will is. And this verse shows us that Paul knew that you can have confidence that God will wi- walk with you through your decisions. Paul also told the Philippian church in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's saying that the fruit of knowledge and discernment, so what comes from having knowledge and discernment, is being able to make the right choices. And when our knowledge and discernment come from Christ, then again, we can be confident in our decisions. Paul had that confidence, and we can too. And then Paul also told the Colossians church in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, So, from the day we heard about your faith in Jesus, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with a knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's saying that we can be filled with the knowledge of his will, and that comes through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that understanding will give us power, and that power can give us confidence. This was one of my favorite passages in college, um, specifically Colossians 1.9, that saying that God can give you a knowledge of his will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, I went through a really difficult time in my family with my younger brother. Um, he had chosen that he didn't want to follow the Lord anymore and was making a lot of decisions that were really rough to watch him go through. And instead of sitting stuck there being like, why, God, why is this happening? And feeling so desperate that God move in a powerful way. I mean, I was desperate that God would move in a powerful way. But instead of becoming paralyzed by that desperation, and instead of asking why all the time, I started saying, God, give me a knowledge of your will. Like, give me that spiritual wisdom and understanding. So even if what's going on with him doesn't make any sense, and even if I don't see any improvement, and there's no hope from what I can see, could you help me know your will? And a lot of times that will was just to know how I'm supposed to respond in those situations. It takes a little bit of the pressure off. Instead of having to worry about how everything is happening, you just have to worry, where is my heart right now? And God's going to take care of it, and you can walk confidently forward with it. Paul spoke over and over and over again about wisdom. And it's wisdom that allows us to choose a door, to choose door one, door two, or even seven, eight, nine, ten, and walk through it. Because wisdom is in both the big decisions and in the small decisions. He cares about all of it, and he will give you wisdom, regardless of what you're trying to figure out. Um, Because when we're practicing asking for wisdom in those small decisions, like, wow, God, I have an evening, evening free. Could you give me wisdom for how to handle it? Like, what should I do with this evening? Or, oh, I just found five bucks in my pocket. God, would you give me wisdom for what to do with this five bucks? Um... Or, I know this person and I want to encourage them. Would you give me wisdom for how to encourage them? 
Because it's when we're practicing asking for wisdom in these little moments that when the big things come along, the big choices that could impact the rest of your life, being willing and quick to ask for wisdom will be there. And that wisdom will be there, or at least really easily accessible. The hard reality, though, in asking for wisdom and having confidence in where God leads us is that sometimes the outcome isn't what we hoped for. Um, or maybe a little down the road, things don't go like you thought they would. And you're left questioning, I prayed for wisdom. I talked to people about it. I felt like I was following God, and the whole world seems to be crashing around me. Or at least my little life seems to be crashing around me. Um, It's easy to question that God really cared, or whether or not God actually gave you wisdom. But the truth is, we live in a really imperfect world, and it's full of a lot of ugliness. But in that, God still is perfect. And God still is consistent, and we can still have confidence in him, even when it doesn't make sense. See, Paul and Silas, who ended up in prison, do you know how they got there? A little further back, they had been traveling around, talking to churches, encouraging believers. People were getting saved. They were doing beautiful, powerful work for God. And they were going one way, and they had to change their route. And that was because the Holy Spirit had forbidden them to speak the word in Asia. Paul, who I'm sure had prayed for wisdom and had probably started to go that way, was then forbidden to continue that route. So they changed directions. They headed another way. And you know what happens when they went that way? It says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to enter that town. Once again, Paul and Silas, who pray for wisdom, who trusted God, who were making decisions and confidently moving, kept having their route redirected. Finally then, God appeared to them in a vision and told them where to go. So they take that route. They go there. You know what happens? It's in Macedonia where the vision told them to go that they were beaten and arrested. It would have been easy for them to say, were we really listening to God? Did we really hear God? But there was a vision. We needed to trust that vision. But everything's failing around us. But you know what? They obeyed. And they knew that they obeyed and that they were supposed to be there. Because all in all, Paul and Silas were seeking a much greater outcome than their own comfort. The jailer was saved they were set free. But in those moments where following God's leading seemed to have that bad outcome, Paul and Silas's faith was not shaken. They were praising God. So they followed God's direction. They sought his wisdom. It wasn't a pretty result, but they knew it was still where God wanted them. So even when we might have something fall apart, maybe we're not beaten and put in jail, but maybe we lose that new job we took, or maybe our kids don't respond well to this new approach that we're trying with them, It doesn't mean that you weren't listening clearly to God. God is still there. He's still giving wisdom, and he's going to continue walking with you because we can have confidence. When we seek God for wisdom, he answers and he gives it. It's just that oftentimes we want answers instead of wisdom. When we face a choice, we want God's will. But before we ask for his will, we need to ask for wisdom. It all keeps coming back to wisdom. Proverbs 8, 17 and 34 to 36 shows us that wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. And then Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us that God says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we pair what these verses tell us about wisdom... And that those who seek it, find it. It's there. It's not withheld from you. Um, when we pair that with James 1.5, which tells us, If any of you lack in wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
That's why we don't have to fear the outcome. That's why we can trust that the God who is perfect, sees all, knows all, will not fail us, even when every situation around us seems to say otherwise. And this God who gives generously without reproach, he doesn't care that you haven't asked for wisdom for the last 4,000 decisions and say, nope, I won't give it to you this time. All we have to do is ask, and he's going to give it to us. He doesn't hold grudges about it. He wants us to have his wisdom. Don't know which job to take? Ask for wisdom. Don't know which discipline approach to take with your kids? That's a big one for me. Ask for wisdom. Don't know if a friendship is healthy for you? Ask for wisdom. Don't know how to spend some of your money? Ask for wisdom. I know it sounds simplistic, but God gives it when we ask for it, and he gives it generously. Wisdom allows us to see the doors that are in front of us, whether it's two or three or four or even 20, and we're going to be able to evaluate what's best, and wisdom allows us to then choose a door and go from there, and then we learn from it. Last summer, my left lung spontaneously collapsed, like I said, I'm emotional, I like to be dramatic, so my body does the same thing. Um, There's no explanation for it, it just collapsed. Um, Eight years before that, my right lung had spontaneously collapsed, so at least I knew what was going on. So we went to the hospital, I got a chest tube put in, and Nolan and I figured, well, last time I sat in the hospital for a week, hooked up to a vacuum, and eventually my lung repaired itself. So we're like, all right, we're probably facing another week in the hospital, hooked up to a vacuum. So the surgeon came in and met with us, and he told us, all right, you have two choices. One, we can just keep you hooked up to a vacuum, wait and see, and hopefully your lung will repair itself, because lungs are awesome like that. Your other choice is you could go directly to surgery. The next day was his scheduled surgery day. He had an opening. They told us this is an incredibly painful surgery. Coming out of it is incredibly painful. It's one of the worst surgeries you can go through pain-wise, because it's all dependent on causing inflammation in your lung, And that means they can't give you anti-inflammatories, and they have to medicate it different. So we're sitting there going, sit in the hospital. It'll probably fix itself. Go into a really painful surgery that may not even be necessary. We chose to sit in the hospital. Well, then a week later, my lung still hadn't fixed itself, and I got to go into surgery anyways. It'd be easy to say we made the wrong choice. I could have saved myself that extra week in the hospital. But God used that week in the hospital to do some powerful things in my heart. Because God's primary will for my life is to make me more like Jesus. And it was during that extra week that I had in the hospital that our church family came around us in a huge and powerful way. We were over and over like, all right, God, we asked for community, and you gave us community. Um, That first moment in the ER, because I'm a social media-obsessed person, took a selfie and posted it. Um, And immediately, I was getting text messages and phone calls um, with being asked, do you need meals? What do your kids need? No one was able to take our kids down the street to someone who goes here to watch our kids so he could be in the hospital with me. Um, We had meals provided for my family every day for two straight weeks from this church. We had people visiting me every day. My nurses were a little worried that I wasn't resting enough because I always had visitors. I needed it. Um, Not the rest, the visitors. Um, We had gifts being dropped off for our kids to play with. We had encouraging notes being sent to me. We had lots and lots and lots of posts on social media encouraging me and praying for me. My husband had people checking in on him, which is huge because I've got to say, In our nine years of marriage, it's only been in the last two years here at the Grove that I have seen him have great guy friends come alongside him in his life. 
We felt God's love so much during that, those two weeks. I've never felt so loved in my life as I did during those two weeks. And not only that, I was able to see firsthand how it's in my weakness that God is strong. How it was while facing the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life that I could still have joy. That there is faithfulness in that trial. We got through it, and I've got to say, that's like one of the best seasons of my life because I got to see how God works. So you could say she made the wrong choice, or you could say, wow, God used that time to make her more like Jesus. It was completely worth it. It's not so much a question of what's the right answer versus what's the wrong answer in these situations. It's a matter of what will make me more like Jesus. Because if God's primary will for my life is to make me more like Jesus, then that two weeks in the hospital was God's will. But I will guarantee you, if my right lung collapses again, we're going straight to surgery. I don't need to go through it again. I know I'm loved. Um, So going back to that verse in James that we just looked at, let's expand it a bit. Uh, James 1, 2 through 6 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. There's this ongoing faith-building cycle here. Your faith is tested. You stay steadfast. You ask for and receive wisdom, and then your faith grows. And then you go back to the beginning. You're facing a choice right now. Know that this choice, no matter how big or small, is testing your faith. And this choice and this testing will produce steadfastness. And steadfastness is a bold planting. It's a rooting. It's a stability. So it produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness helps you know to ask God for wisdom. And God will give you wisdom. And so you will make a choice. And then you will learn from it because your faith will grow. And then you'll be right back here. Because I can guarantee you, you're going to have another choice to make. And then another choice. And another choice. And that choice will test your faith, which will produce steadfastness. And once again, it'll build your faith, and you'll ask for wisdom, and it will be given. And again, your faith will be built, and then you'll face another choice. This cycle keeps going, but it grows your faith every time you face a situation. It's a beautiful thing, and I absolutely love it. But it does get difficult when we're faced with two doors, and both doors look equally good. You weigh out the pros and cons, you pray for wisdom, you talk to people around you who might be a little wiser than you or know how to speak in that situation, and you're still left wondering, which door do I choose? Again, in his book, John Orberg said that once in his life, he faced two decisions, and they looked equally good, equally bad, not really, choosing one or the other wasn't going to alter his life too much more than the other, um, at least not in his opinion. And so finally, he had to just choose to go which way made him feel more alive, Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Like, well, I guess I'll feel more alive there, so that's where I'll go. Over the years, I've found that teaching kids about God and empowering volunteers to teach kids about God makes me feel alive. I know exactly when God called me to it. Um, Growing up, I kind of knew I wanted to go into children's ministry someday because my mom had always done it, and then it was at multiple churches throughout my life. I loved watching it, and I was like, you know, someday— when I'm grown up, when I've raised my kids, when I know what I'm talking about, that's when I'll do children's ministry. Well, then I went on a mission trip at the age of 22, and there I was in Nicaragua. I was single, obviously no kids in sight for me, no, nothing tying me down, and I knew 
God was calling me to ministry, and he was calling me now. I was like, he was like, nope, you don't get to wait till you're 40-something. You get to do it now. So there I was, not tied down. So I started applying for churches all over the country. Because I'm like, I'm free. There is nothing holding me back. God has called me to ministry. I'm going to go for it. Well, it turns out all the other churches in America agreed with me originally that I needed to have kids and know what I was talking about. So the doors kept closing over and over and over again. But then God, in a way only God can do it, opened a door within the church I was already on staff at. And you know what? When that door opened, I didn't even have to hesitate. I just walked right through it because I had been praying for wisdom. I had been asking God to lead me. And so when he opened that door in a way that only God can open a door, I just stepped right in because wisdom was there already. I knew where I was supposed to go. And then five years later, after I'd had a kid, um, still didn't know what I was talking about, uh, it was, I knew it was time to step down. God made it really clear to me, it's time to step down. And I, I was released from that ministry. Fast forward a few years later, we're here at the Grove. Um, I started out with Nolan and I were helping in the twos and threes class. By the way, twos and threes are a lot of fun, in case you're wondering. Um, and then we started helping with kids camp, and then we were helping with the preschool class here. And gradually I felt like this part of my life, or my heart was coming back to life. Yeah, at first I was like, no, 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 no. God released me from this calling. I don't need to go after it. And then Diane started talking to me a bit and asking me if I would ever be interested in going back into children's ministry. And at first I was like, nope, I've been released. I'm done. But then God kept awakening something in me and bringing it back to life. And so finally I was like, okay, this is where God has me going. However, Nolan and I kept putting one limitation out there. I was not going to go back to work until Jay started kindergarten. So we had this timeline in mind of September because he starts kindergarten this fall. And then we talked with James, and it turned out James had a different timeline of March. So there we were, two different doors. Both doors led to me working at the Grove. There was no doubt about whether or not I would walk through one of the doors. We knew I would. It was just a matter of do I choose March or do I choose September. And I prayed about it. I asked for wisdom. I talked with people I trusted. Nolan and I hashed out detail after detail and everything that would have to change in our lives in order to accommodate one door or the other. I did dishes. I don't do dishes. And Nolan walked in one evening after working out, and there I am scrubbing dishes because I'm like, I don't know which way to go. Like, the pros and cons are looking the same. And in the end, we had to decide which door is going to make me feel more alive. And you know what? March made me feel more alive. And it's pretty awesome when you get to just say, I know God has the doors for me. I know he's going to walk through it with it. The limitations I'd put there, they might still exist. Obviously, my kid's still at home full-time. I mean, so is Reese, but she's good. Um, We knew we could walk through that door because God was going to walk through us with it. And he was right there with us making that decision. And in the end, he wasn't so worried about whether I chose March or September. He just wanted to know that I was lining my heart up with his, that I was pursuing becoming more and more like him. You see, there are doors before us every day. Some on the grand scale of which job to take, who to marry, when to start your family. Sometimes those doors aren't an option for you. But others are on the small scale of how should I use this 20 bucks? How should I spend this evening? How can I encourage this person? Position yourself in a place where seeking wisdom in all things is second nature. Trust that God will fulfill his purpose for you. He will make you more like Jesus when you follow him and trust in him. You are going to be more like Jesus. I love how Philippians 4, 7 says, The peace of God, which transcends all human understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will protect you. That door that you're walking through may seem scary, but he's going to take you. He's going to walk you through it. He's going to take care of you. He's going to give you the wisdom so that you can make choices in your life. Because honestly, the ultimate door, the best door you will ever walk through is actually a person. Jesus is wisdom. And wisdom came down from heaven, and wisdom lived on this earth with us, and wisdom lived, and he loved, and he died, and then he rose again. And wisdom walks through every choice that you make, every decision you have facing you. Wisdom is right there with you, and he wants you to grow in him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that we don't have to make these decisions all by ourselves, that you are with us, and we thank you for taking off that pressure by showing us that you're going to walk through it, and as long as we're becoming more like you, we can have confidence. God, please be with us this week. In your name we pray. Amen.